0: It's a beautiful summer day in San Francisco. The temperature is cool, there's a little bit of moisture in the air, and inside Golden Gate Park, people are jogging, walking their dogs, riding their bikes, and there's kids playing on a jungle gym. Basically, everyone seems to be having a great time, except for me. Is hmm. it around here? I am lost, hopelessly lost. I have a map in my hand, and I'm staring at a circled number, number 18. This number corresponds with a checkpoint, and I need to find this checkpoint, fast. I'm not hunting for buried treasure. I'm racing against other people in this same park, holding the same map trying to find all of these checkpoints before they do. I feel like I'm right on top of it. I'm Amanda McGowan, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. If you're the kind of person who digs our website, you know, finding new ways to explore the world around you, then I think I've found a sport that you are really going to like. Come with me to go orienteering after this.
1: If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
0: Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal
1: So this map is in like old volcanic country in the middle of France. So it's got a bunch of little divots and holes and little molehills all very, very, very close to each other.
0: This is Julian Willette. Maybe you recognize his voice if you've heard some of my other stories. He's been in a couple of them and is my go-to voice actor. He's my boyfriend, so he's usually around and available. We are sitting at the kitchen table flipping through a giant binder that Julian keeps, which is filled with maps. Oh my god, this is so small. Yeah. How can you even read that?
1: Well, with difficulty.
0: (laughs) These maps are from old race courses. Race courses for a sport that I imagine you may not have heard of before. It's called orienteering.
1: So it's cross-country running, but... Uh, with a little bit more brains to it, I suppose.
0: Orienteering is basically a high-speed scavenger hunt. At the starting line, you're given a map with a series of numbered checkpoints on it. These are called controls. During the race, you have to hit every control on your list in order. Honestly, it's kind of like the show The Amazing Race.
1: It's like running but also navigating at the same time. It's not just, you know, running with your headphones in and and uh, just kind of looking around. It's running and trying to figure out where to go in the quickest speed possible.
0: And how did you get interested in this?
1: I started doing it in middle school back in France. So we had different sports that we would do during the year and orienteering was one of them that you had to just choose. My middle school was in Fontainebleau, which is where the NATO headquarters used to be.
0: The NATO connection actually makes sense, because that is how orienteering started, as a military exercise. Way back in the 1800s, officials in Sweden used it to train soldiers in land navigation. But then regular folks kind of thought, oh, this looks fun. And the first competition open to the public was held in 1897 in Norway. But what really made the sport take off was technology, specifically more reliable, lightweight compasses, which became more readily available starting in around the 1930s. Even today, a compass is still probably the most important item in your toolkit when orienteering. And Julian tells me that compass technology has continued to evolve. In fact, he recently upgraded his own personal kit.
1: It's got a strap on it, so it's attached to your thumb, basically. And your thumb would be holding the map at the same time, so that way you have the compass and the map right next to each other, so you can easily see which direction you're going. A thumbtisk. I don't think it's called a (laughs) thumpus.
0: The other key piece of gear comes into play when you actually find one of those controls or checkpoints. It's not just an X on the ground, and there isn't a person there waiting for you holding a flag. But there is a kind of sign that you've made it. The checkpoint is marked with a little orange and white kite or windsock. That is the control. Back in the olden days, inside of that control there would be a little hole punch, so you could keep track of which ones you'd hit, But today things are a little bit more high tech. Julian shows me a plastic doodad that attaches to your finger with elastic. This is a finger stick and it has a little chip in it.
1: Instead of trying to memorize or, you know, hole punch, like people used to do, you would just use this little piece of plastic that would beep on a little electronic box that's in the control.
0: If this all sounds like kind of a lot to take in, just know that there is a level of this sport for you, even if you're brand new. For beginners, there are maps where all of the controls are located on trails. I've seen people do it while carrying their toddlers on their backs, so it's pretty straightforward and pretty chill. Then as you level up, the maps get more complicated. They might involve more off-roading or require more compass navigation or running through more difficult terrain. The most intense version of orienteering is called row gaining, which is when you basically get dropped in the middle of the race course, which can be enormous, and you have between 2 and 24 hours to find as many controls as you can, even at night. And none of this includes the hazards that you could come across on any path. In the wilderness
1: you don't know how far into the forest you're going to be so you got to watch out for some wild boar or deer or things like that coming to get you
0: did you ever see any
1: yeah i've seen them i've seen a few my day back in fontainebleau they're usually pretty harmless they're a little bit concerned why you're in their territory more than anything Uh, but sometimes if you're uh, getting too close to them you know just like any other wild animal gotta get out of the way
0: Julian competed a lot in his younger years back in France, where he collected all those piles of maps in his binder. But recently, he's gotten back into the sport. So a couple weeks ago, we headed up to San Francisco, which was host of this year's Fest or California Orienteering Festival. We signed up for a race in Golden Gate Park, right in the middle of the city. After checking in, we got our bibs and our finger sticks, and we watched the competition getting warmed up. Not surprisingly, there seemed to be a lot of Scandinavians in attendance wearing blue and yellow jerseys from Swedish orienteering clubs. Today, orienteering is still most popular there. After a bit, Julian headed off to line up with the others in the elite men's category. I, on the other hand, was in the recreational group, so there was no pressure. Before starting, though, Julian did give me some advice.
1: You want to look ahead at the control that you're arriving to and then know in which direction you're going to come out of it so that you're not just standing there, which would help other people also find the control if you're just standing right next
0: to it. In other words, try and think ahead. So with that in mind, I collected my map and set off. Now this audio is going to sound a little rough. It turns out, I kind of underestimated how difficult it would be to run and navigate and record at the same time. And in that vein, things started to go poorly pretty much right off the bat. My map had 23 checkpoints on it. And after running for a couple minutes, I arrived at control number two, which meant that I had completely bypassed, somehow, number one. So I doubled back hit up number one, and then headed back to number two again. This beeping is the sound that the control makes when you put your finger stick in. It is very satisfying. After that little snafu, I trotted along. I'm following the path on my map that I'm pretty sure is gonna lead me to the next control. But then up ahead, I start to hear kind of the muffled sounds of people talking. And then I see like a little tent and I realized that I had somehow ended back at the starting line, like I approached it from a different angle. It was extremely humbling and upsetting. But I have to say, even as I was getting lost, it was all kind of pleasant. There was a lot to see in Golden Gate Park. There was a lawn bowling area, a polo field, and even... I'm jaywalking to see bison an enclosure filled with bison. Oh my God. That is a great thing about orienteering. The courses tend to be interesting or scenic in one way or another. Other events in this year's Callow Fest included Presidio Park in San Francisco. That's an old military barracks that's overlooking the bay. It's very cool. And then there were some events further afield like around Lake Tahoe. The sightseeing aspect seems to go back to the very beginning of the sport. In some of the earliest public races in Sweden, historic churches actually served as controls. Slowing down here to enjoy these bird sounds. So along the course I go, hitting my checkpoints, enjoying the scenery, but then I get to tricky control number 18. My map tells me that there should be a path next to a pond. And oh, there's the pond. But there's no path. So I decide to consult my compass. Is it around here? Yeah, the compass skills definitely need to be improved on. But that is okay because eventually I did find control 18 and then I found. Double check, double check, double check. <laughs> After I finished my race, I met up with Julian. He wasn't completely thrilled about his own performance either.
1: My race was 6.2 kilometers, and that took me 52 minutes, uh, which was not a great time. Uh, I was the slowest of the elite pack.
0: Later on, they broke out the results a little bit more, and it turned out that Julian came in number two out of all the competitors from the Western states. So that's pretty good. But anyway... Even with all of the getting lost bits, the whole thing was pretty fun. And I'm starting to make some connections. Because ever since I've known him, Julian has always been a kind of sheepdog type person. Like, in a group of people, he's always the one to take charge of navigation, checking the map, etc. And understanding that he's been doing orienteering for so long, I'm kind of starting to get where this comes from and how these skills get built. I'm nowhere near that point myself, but I do like the idea of getting better at it. Maybe eventually I will memorize the next couple steps in directions instead of checking my phone every 15 seconds. And someday maybe even I'll turn GPS off entirely. Orienteering is still a pretty small sport. To give you a sense at the 2023 World Orienteering Day, which is like a coordinated event between clubs all over the world, they had about 100,000 people participating, so it's still pretty small. That being said, if you want to give orienteering a try, there are clubs all over the United States. There's about 70 active clubs in the U.S., and we will include a link to that list in our episode description. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. Our production team includes...
1: Dylan Thuris Doug Baldinger Chris Naka
0: Camille Stanley
1: Manolo Morales Baudelaire
0: Gabby Gladney Our technical director is...
1: Casey Holford
0: This episode was mixed by...
1: Luce Fleming
0: Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And if you would like to learn more about anything that you heard today, go to atlasobscura.com. There is a link in our episode description. I'm Amanda McGowan wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Lale Aracoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full
1: of these, I I will call them ghosts of the past.
0: From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs, we hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel, published every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen.